I am sure there is nobody listening, myself included, who doesn't need some kind of help with a struggle. This is the day to ask for the help, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is this is so big. As I mentioned in the beginning, a lot of people think in our church, we have two big celebrations. The two biggest are Easter and Christmas. Yes, in a way that's true. But Easter has 50 days and within it are three giants. First you have, well, you know what you could even do is compare the three great feasts of the Old Testament and how they are fulfilled in the New Testament. Let's look at this. What was the great feast of the Old Testament? Passover. What New Testament feast has fulfilled that? Easter. So we have Easter, the fulfillment of Passover. Now, what was the other great feast of the Old Testament? The Day of Atonement. The one day of the year where the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and receive on behalf of all the people complete forgiveness of not only sins, but all punishment. That was called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. What great feast has fulfilled that? Oh, come on, everybody needs to know this. Divine Mercy Sunday. The one day of the year that we can be completely cleansed of not only all sin, but all punishment. So the great Old Testament feast of Passover has been replaced by Easter. Fulfilled. The Old Testament feast of Yom Kippur, the, the day of the year where the high priest can receive on behalf of the people complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. That's been fulfilled by Divine Mercy Sunday. And what's the third great feast of the Old Testament? Pentecost. People actually think of Pentecost as only this New Testament feast of the coming of the Holy Spirit. No, in the Old Testament, Pentecost was actually the coming of the law. When Moses received the law, that was the Old Testament Pentecost. And it happened 50 days later when Moses went up. Now that is fulfilled by what feast in the New Church or the New Testament? Pentecost, but now the coming of the Spirit, not the law. The Spirit has fulfilled the law. That's why the law is now in the flesh. It is now the embodiment in the Spirit. Jesus says, I now write that on your heart. You know, one of the best homilies I ever heard was Father Anthony. Father Anthony gave a homily a while back, years ago, to look at the image of divine mercy. And what do you see? You see the, the rays of blood in the water pouring out. And he said, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? It's the love between the Father and the Son. The love between the Father and Son is so great that just like a married couple, the husband and the wife, the love between them is so great that from them comes a third person, the child, the same with God. The love between the Father and the Son is so great that from it comes a third person, proceeds the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit was poured upon us at Pentecost. Now what Father Anthony pointed out in that homily years ago was that this is the birth of the church. Now when was the church born? 
The church was born when Jesus was speared on the cross, yes, and the blood and the water flowed out, but it really wasn't fully born until Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Pentecost is 10 days after the ascension. Mary and the apostles were in the upper room for those nine days in between. That's where we get the tradition of a novena. And Mary, with the 12 apostles, was waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that relationship between them? It is so powerful that Maximilian Kolbe said that, do you know that the Mary is a quasi-incarnation of the Holy Spirit. Now be careful here, because we're not saying the Holy Spirit was incarnate. Only, only the second person of the Trinity technically became incarnate. The Holy Spirit did not come and take the form of Mary. Mary is not the incarnation of the Holy Spirit, but she's the quasi-incarnation. She embodied everything about the Holy Spirit. That is why our faith is ultimately to get back to the Father. That's what this Mass is all about. But through the Father, he is revealed by Jesus the Son. Jesus' purpose on earth was to reveal the Father. He is the face of the Father. But who reveals Jesus? Jesus says clearly in Scripture, the Holy Spirit. Nothing, you will know nothing unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. He reveals who Jesus is to us. But in a way, who reveals by example the Holy Spirit? Mary. So ultimately, we came from God. And if you want to get back to God the Father, I mean, we came from God the Father. And if you want to get back to God the Father, go back the same way. Start with Mary. Mary and her living example was an example of the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. She shows you her spouse, the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit reveals to us Christ the Savior. And then Christ the Savior is the only way back to God the Father. This is our faith. This is incredible. And you know, if you have any struggles, ask today for the help. You ever hear the term gifts of the Holy Spirit? Or how about fruits of the Holy Spirit? What's the difference? I always used to get confused by this. When I was in high school, I didn't understand it. What's the difference between the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Okay, for instance, if you have the gift of woodworking, you could really do nice things with wood. You're a carpenter. You have that gift. God gave you that gift. The gift is you have the ability to be a good carpenter. The fruit of that gift is what you make with it. So you build maybe a new school. The fruit of your gift is the school you built. The gift is your talent as a carpenter. So let's look at first the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what are they? Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, counsel, fortitude, piety, and fear of the Lord. Now here's the first thing. What is the difference between wisdom, understanding, and knowledge? All right. Wisdom is the greatest of all. That is knowing the truth. Wisdom is Christ himself. He is wisdom incarnate. Wisdom is knowing the truth. Truth of what exists. Life is sacred. All right. The, the, the truth. Marriage is between man and woman. This is the truth. That's wisdom. But what is understanding and knowledge, okay? 
Knowledge is seeing things the way God sees them, like the illumination of conscience. When the illumination of conscience comes, the whole world is going to be shocked because you will suddenly see things the way God sees them. You will have knowledge. You have knowledge. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize what I was doing was a sin. I didn't realize that. You'll also realize great things like knowing how much God loves you. So wisdom is, is just the truth. Knowledge is seeing things the way God sees them. He will illumine your conscience. What is understanding? Understanding is seeing the things the way others see them. Compassion. You know what? I never thought about it until I really put myself in your shoes. Now I understand. So understanding is seeing the way things are seen by other people. So wisdom is the truth. Life is sacred. Abortion is wrong. The knowledge is how God sees things. You have knowledge now that, wow, I was on the wrong path. Wow, God really does love me. Understanding is seeing things the way others see them. How many people in this world only see the way the things we see them? And it's not until we see the way things are understood by others do we become compassionate. So those are the three starts of the, of the gifts. Now, they continue, though. What about counsel? Counsel is the gift of the Holy Spirit where you make good decisions. You, you turn to God and say, I need help making these decisions. How many of you ask God or the Holy Spirit to guide you in buying a new house, taking a new job, marrying your spouse. These are counsel. Seek counsel of the Lord. He can give you that. Now, what about fortitude? Fortitude's easy. That's courage. Man, does it take courage? Does it take courage to be a Christian today? To stand up for what is right. All right, what about piety? The gift of piety. Piety is simply reverence. Reverence the way that we adore our Lord, the way that we worship our Lord. Are we reverent? And then finally, fear of the Lord. Fear is a devil's tool, but not this kind. This is not a subservient fear, like the Lord's going to beat me. No, this isn't fear of punishment. This is fear of offending God because I love him. The hardest things ever are to hurt the ones we love. And so fear of the Lord is I don't want to hurt the one I love the most. So those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When do you get the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Okay. At your baptism, you were given faith, hope, and charity, the theological virtues, right? But at your confirmation, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit. It like completes your baptism. And at the confirmation, you receive these gifts if you're open. Now, here's what's important. The confirmation is Pentecost. We are basically right now in a mini confirmation. Because the Holy Spirit is coming down. You could be sealed in these gifts. Now, if you utilize these gifts, you will bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit. What are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Okay, depending if you're Protestant or Catholic, there's either nine or 12. But real quick, they are charity, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. So the gifts are used to bear the fruits. Your gifts of the Holy Spirit are given today. Ask for them. Lord, fill me with the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that I can go bear fruit. All who are confirmed are equipped with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why if you haven't been confirmed yet, please get confirmed. You'll be equipped with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to then go live a holy life and bear fruit. That fruit is how you will be judged. Number one, charity. How does the Bible say we're judged when we die? On love. So everybody, you got to have the Holy Spirit or you'll never get to that fruit of love. You need to be baptized. Please baptize your children. Give them the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Then confirmed in conf confirmation is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number one is so important that we understand these gifts. And then we can take those gifts and live it and bear fruit. And the best of all, that fruit is charity. That's how you will be judged. God's giving you the path to heaven. This is so important. And so when we read here, we, we read so much, you know, um, tomorrow is the feast of Mary, the mother of the church. People don't realize this is not even listed in most places. Pope Francis enacted this tomorrow. The Monday after Pentecost is Mary, the mother of church. You know, when I was in the Holy Land, I went to the upper room. And there were four sacraments were given. People don't realize this. The Eucharist, it's where Jesus did the Last Supper. Holy orders, he ordained the first priests up there. Confession, Jesus just gave the sacrament of confession. Father Anthony just read it. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven. And people always say, I don't need a priest. I don't need a priest. Well, Jesus just set it up this way. I always love asking to my catechism classes, does the priest, you know, when you go to confession, is it the priest who forgives your sins? And they always, everybody always says, no, yes. Now the grace doesn't come from the priest. The grace comes from God. And who had ultimate authority to forgive sins on earth? Jesus. And when you have the ultimate authority, you have the power to delegate that authority. Jesus had ultimate authority to forgive sins on earth. But when you have ultimate authority, you have the power to delegate that authority. And Jesus delegated it to the priests. So when that priest in the confessional says, I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're guaranteed forgiveness guaranteed. You don't have to wonder, am I forgiven? Maybe I'm forgiven. You're guaranteed. This is the power. And then the third one, confirmation. These all happened in the upper room, the Eucharist, holy orders, confession, confirmation. And this is now what we see. Jesus is coming into the upper room. Father Anthony just read this passage. What's happening? What did he just read? Jesus comes into the upper room and what does he do? First of all, do you realize this is the same passage as Divine Mercy Sunday? This is the same passage as Divine Mercy Sunday. The first day of the week after the resurrection, that was the following Sunday. Jesus resurrected on the next Sunday is Divine Mercy Sunday. This is what Father Anthony just read. 
And the next Sunday, Jesus walks into the room. And what does he do? He breathes on them. There was only other one time in history that God breathed on man. And that was at creation. God breathed on them. And that created us. Now Jesus comes and he breathes again. But what is he doing? A new creation. Now we are redeemed. And what does he breathe? The Holy Spirit. This is why the word in Hebrew, ruah, means spirit or breath. And if you watched our EWTN show last, this past Wednesday, you can still see it on our YouTube channel. I explained who the Trinity is. It, it, it basically, you have God the Father. It, you know, you're a mini Trinity. When, when, you th when, when you as a human being, when you think what comes into your head, a word. Now, if you're like me, sometimes it's the wrong word. Okay. So, but you think, you think the word and then what you speak it, but what you speak is powered by a breath. You're a mini Trinity. When God, the father thinks he thinks the God, the father thinks he thinks of a word. That word is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal word. That's the second person of the Trinity. That's Jesus. But when he speaks that word to bring about all creation, it's powered with a breath. What is that breath? That breath is the Holy Spirit. That's why the same word for breath is spirit in Hebrew, ruah. And so I know I'm running late, but this is powerful because Jesus breathed on them. And now with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we just talked about the gifts a new creation begins, one, not bound in sin. This is amazing. And Jesus says, peace be with you. He's not talking about peace in the absence of war, but the removal of sin. So this is powerful. You know, the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity, is the most active member of the Trinity in the world today. God the Father was active. He created creation. God, the son was active when he came to earth. He redeemed creation, but now he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us in the midst of this mess. The Holy Spirit is the most active member of the Trinity today on this earth. Are we invoking him? Are we asking for his help? We must let him. You know, this is powerful stuff. I'm, I'm running out of time, so I have to skip. I, I have some notes I'm not even following basically right now. But, you know, I, I think I'll finish with this. Yeah, let's do this. You've all heard the term, the only unforgivable sin. What is the only unforgivable sin? Sin against the Holy Spirit. Don't make the sin of the whole, against the Holy Spirit. Basically, the sin against the Holy Spirit is what Dominicans taught me is final impenitence. It's kind of like Stalin's daughter described him on his deathbed as he was dying and he was shaking his fists in anger at God to the very end. That's final impenitence. Going to the end, I don't need God's mercy. I don't want God's mercy. I'm not going to ask for God's mercy. The very fact that you walk into that confessional means you cannot be guilty of the only unforgivable sin. Because you know what the only unforgivable sin is? Not asking for God's mercy. 
So if you ask for God's mercy, there is no other sin that's unforgivable. Lying, stealing, abortion, murder, cheating, whatever. So the only unforgivable sin is not asking for God's mercy. This is the sin against the Holy Spirit. So by the fact that you walk into that confession, you cannot be guilty of the only unforgivable sin. Everything from there is forgivable if you simply walk into that confessional. Because by doing that, you are asking for God's mercy. So here's what I wanted to finish. This unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's what's interesting. Thomas Aquinas, now I'm taking you back to seminary. I know I'm running late. But this is what I learned in seminary. And I want to share this with you. Thomas Aquinas says, to the Father, we attribute power and strength. To the Son, we attribute wisdom. Remember, I just said the first gift of of the Holy Spirit is wisdom. That's Jesus himself. And to the Holy Spirit, we attribute goodness. So the sin of weakness is the sin against the Father. The Father's power. So if you commit a sin of weakness, it's a sin against the Father. That's forgivable. Same with the Son. The Son is wisdom. So a sin of ignorance, stupidity, is also forgivable. The Bible says sins against the Son are forgivable. But why is the sin against the Holy Spirit not? It says it's goodness. Okay, when a man sins, this is what Aquinas says, through certain horrible malice, through the very choosing of evil, it is a sin against the Holy Ghost because it is against goodness itself, which is attributed to the Holy Spirit. So the sins of man are forgivable. That's ignorance. Sins against the um, Father are forgivable. Those are weakness. But the sins of the Holy Spirit are directly choosing and purposely doing evil. Now, how do you, if you've done that, get forgiven? Father, I can't be forgiven now. Yes, you can. This is where Aquinas finishes. And Augustine steps in here. Augustine basically tells us there are three forms of the unforgivable sin. One, I don't need God's mercy. I'm fine. I've never killed anybody. I'm a good person. I don't need anything. Don't fall into that trap. We all need God's mercy. The second form is God can forgive me. And and this is how Augustine says it. And it's very powerful. Okay, Augustine says, God can't forgive me. I'm too sinful. Really? There's no sin you commit greater than God's mercy. And the third, God could forgive me, but he won't. He hates me. Uh Uh-uh. You wouldn't be breathing if God hated you. You wouldn't have been created if God hates you. Our sins are just a drop compared to the ocean of God's mercy. This is the day to ask the Holy Spirit to renew everything. Jesus said, I make all things new. He breathed and gave us a new creation. If your life has been a mess up until this point, if you've made a mess out of it, today is Pentecost. Ask for the breath of the Holy Spirit to make you a new creation. That is what this day is all about. And it is the most important feast in our church, connected with Easter and Divine Mercy Sunday. Praise be to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't not utilize it. Amen. Hallelujah.
Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.